0: To the MS Dev Show, episode 106. This week we talk with Rich Turner about the real Linux on Windows. What's up with .net? And we need to stop lying about developers. This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by Infragistics, providing tools and solutions to accelerate design, development, insights, and collaboration for any
1: organization. This week, we have Rich Turner. He's a senior program manager on the Windows team, making the command line cool again. How's it going, Rich? Great, thanks. Great to be here. Thanks for the invite.
2: Yeah, and thank you for making the command line cool again.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's a funny world, right? The the industry goes goes in big cycles, and uh, we're back to making command line cool again, which is great. Yeah,
1: I mean, I you know, not to like you know spoilers, I guess, but not not to not to get like way ahead. But I yeah, I do remember a time when we were tr- just trying to completely eliminate the command line. I mean, it was. I was thinking in the future, like you'd never see one. Yeah,
2: absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the the world at large was telling us that they didn't like having to type in commands, and yeah. they it was undiscoverable. It was difficult for them to understand how to how to script things, especially in in the old days. Uh, things have moved on quite a lot, though, in the last few years, and it seems that um, people now enjoy scripting and automating things more than ever before. So, yeah. uh, we need to we need to make Windows really sing in that world, and um, that's why we're we're working hard to do. Yep, and that's why we're talking to you. Yep.
1: Okay, so Carl, did you order something expensive?
2: Yeah, <laughs> I.
1: I-
0: I just did uh, a few hours ago in fact. Okay. Uh so I ordered a standing desk for myself and uh, one of the one of the things that I wanted is you know I wanted something that was had a lot of good reviews, uh, a lot of good personal reviews as well. Yeah. And I wanted something that wasn't like laminate wood because I think all of my previous desks had been laminate wood. And those, you know, you always get those, the edges that peel off or, or they warp a little bit. So I ordered one from upliftdesk.com. And I've gotten so many personal reviews from people that says that they're awesome. And I ordered mine with a one-inch thick bamboo top. Mm, so yeah. if if you go with their wood, the wood's a little bit more expensive, but the bamboo's a bit cheaper. And I like that look anyway. So that's pretty okay. cool. So. I'm looking forward to uh, using my standing desk okay, pretty so soon. So you're going
1: to use that like exclusively? You're just going to stand, stand all day?
0: It's one of those where it moves up and down. So it has the motor oh, okay. to go up and That's down. Nice. And and I ordered the advanced controls so you could put uh, memory settings. So you could put it standing settings, sitting, and uh, sitting setting.
1: <laughs> say that 10 times fast. <laughs> yeah. Cause I have the, I have a walking desk and I, I mean, there's just no way I, I just think, I actually think it would be unhealthy to walk on that thing for like eight to 10 hours a day. I don't, at least it feels that way. So I can, I can do it in like hour long spurts. So even standing up is probably a little different. I've heard of people doing that for a couple of weeks and then they get used to it. Uh, but yeah, good, good luck with that. And you'll have to let us know how that works out. Definitely. And then a couple of days ago uh, you came over to my house and we these these Mac Minis that we mistakenly bought and have have complained about relentlessly. We just completely ripped them apart. Um, we did eventually put them back together though. So what we did, um, I mean, this is this was an excruciating process uh, because these things are. It's just crazy how these things are actually put together. So we completely disassemble them because the hard drive is actually in the—it's in the top. But when you flip it over, it's actually the farthest thing away from the access panel. So you have to completely disassemble everything. Uh, we repl- we put SSDs in them instead of the the spinning discs, and um, these are like brand new machines. I mean, they were brand new machines, but like yeah. they're actually performing like they should. I mean, I I just think if, if you, if there's somebody you don't like, like send them like the (laughs) entry-level Mac mini. And if there's somebody that you like, you know, put an SSD in one and then send them one. Cause then, then it's actually a, a fairly reasonable computer. So we went with the 256 gig Samsung drives. We actually went with the, there's, there's, there's two different models. There's the Evo of Samsung and then there's the pro. And I, you know, Carl, my, my recommendation for, for like anybody who's listening to this podcast for a machine that you use on a regular basis, I always say to buy the pro drive. It has a 10 year warranty versus mm-hmm. like a five year, which I don't really care about that too much, but the reality is they're designed to last longer and they're, they perform better. And it's like this just spend a few extra dollars. So I think, I don't know what they were. They weren't expensive. The hard drives were actually pretty darn cheap. So it was really just more the, the work going into it. But they are actually amazingly fast machines. And then the other thing that we noticed was Skype, just by itself, would almost completely suck up the entire CPU power of the entire machine. And I think that had to do with uh, it. Somehow it goes hand in hand with the, the hard drive speeds. And now with, our, uh, with Skype going, plus the recording software, plus everything else, we're at what? Less than 50% CPU usage. So, I mean, it just made it like, they're just, they're just awesome machines now uh, for what we needed. They were, you know, inexpensive and they were kind of a known entity. Okay. Uh, anything you want to mention that Carl,
0: we should move on. No, I mean, you did those upgrades, uh, both machines in about an hour. So yeah. other than the wives sitting in the other room, uh, <laughs> kind of upset, we weren't being social with them. Uh, it was pretty painless. Yeah. Oh, they're used to it by
1: now. Uh, okay. Yep. Who do we have for the Infragistics ultimate winner of the week?
0: Uh, this week, it was a YouTube comment by Victor Uh Hopefully, that's close. Uh, he really liked the hilarious intro boot sequence on our video. So for those of you who are in the audio and don't really care about the video, just check out the YouTube video once just to see all the little Easter eggs and see if you can uh, get all the little humor that's in our video sequence. Uh, actually, Jason and I spent a, a good part of a day just trying to be as fun with that as we mm-hmm. could be. Uh, If you want to get mentioned on the show and have us read it and be entered to win the Infragistics Ultimate License, send us an email to feedback at msdevshow.com, comment on Facebook, YouTube, or Stitcher, and we really like
1: those five-star iTunes reviews. Yeah, we need to get out there and check for those again, because I'm sure we have some new ones, so that's probably what we'll do for the next show. Uh, Okay, let's move on to the news. So we got some good stuff here. Now, I will tell people it's a little less timely than usual, because this episode will go live, I think, next Friday for us, Carl? Okay, yes. so we recorded so about it. A week yeah, a So we're we're recording a week and a half in advance, which is a little unusual for us. Uh, but that's why the, the news is slightly less timely. Uh, so the first one here, Microsoft no longer allows administrators to block store access on Windows 10 Pro. And I read this one, Carl, and at first I'm like, what? I'm like, why would they do this? This doesn't make any sense to me. And then I realized that it is, yeah. it is for the Pro version, not the Enterprise version. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're not blocking it altogether. So if you're an
0: enterprise and you don't want uh, people accessing the store, you still have the right to block mm-hmm. that. But uh, if you're an enterprise trying to use Windows 10 Pro everywhere, uh, you're not going to have that option. You're going to have to upgrade to enterprise. Yeah. So just thought that was something that people might not be aware of. And since these updates are more automatic than they used to be, uh... Just want to make sure everybody know in case they run across that as yeah. well.
1: I don't think there's really any upside. It's For us, it's just a kind of a, a public service announcement at this point. Um, next one. We need to stop lying. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really, <laughs> <laughs> and We didn't lie about that, that that's first a good one. Tip. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no. So so what this is, I really like this article it is by Tim Rayburn. And to me, it's more like, uh, you know, we have some stereotypes in our industry and it's more less than we need to stop lying than more that we need to stop believing these yeah. and reinforcing them. So he really just has kind of three things. He says a developer's greatest asset is their technical knowledge. And a lot of people believe that hey, if I can do something really clever, it's going to get, you know, a lot of attention. But at the end of the day, I mean, we all work for companies that expect us to, you know, support some, you know, business in some way shape and form. And really what we have to do is you know, take credit for when we enhance the business as well, not just the technical things that that power mm-hmm. it. Uh, number two is uh, developers are a monolithic group. Um, we're not all you know middle aged white guys that like Star Wars and Star Trek and you know you know, play D D in the basements. Uh, <laughs> That's just the people on this call right now. <laughs> just just the people on this call. So, you know, we need to realize that, you know, everybody's different and we need to be a little bit more inclusive. Some of those things, our industry is doing a poorer job on, but um, there are Uh-oh. definitely people Uh-oh. in the
1: industry that don't fit the oh. mold. Carl, Carl, the robot locked up either that or Skype locked up oh, for a second there. <laughs> I'm good. That's <laughs> <laughs> almost having like a Skype issue. We don't need to reboot Carl this time. All right, can you hear yeah, me? Yeah, yeah, no, it, it's it's all, right. all good. No, it is that right. that that one is is I like that one too because I I remember, you know, oh, it's it's just going to sound like a horrible story if I say it. So I I guess I'm not really going to get into it. But but yeah, I this one is 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 totally true. Like there's all types of developers. And, um, the, the, the cool thing is I, I think being a geek now is sort of a cool thing. So I I think this is less of an issue than it used to be, but it it used to be like you were either cool or you were, you know, you were a developer. (laughs) And now I think, I think now like people believe that you can be both, but the truth is like you can be, you know, anything and yeah, that, that, that was a good one. Did you read number three, Carl, or was that while you were locked up? No, no, I didn't. didn't.
0: So the last thing is developers are bad at interpersonal uh-huh. communications. And this is one that all three of us on this call, we you know, we're proof against that. I mean, we're out here communicating. Uh, and, you know, a lot of us, you know, it's part of our jobs to not just write a lot of email, write documentation, but, you know, Pitch to our bosses, uh, you know. Talk to the CEO level. Talk to customers. You have to be good at those communication skills. And you know, we're not just the guy in the basement. That, you you know, you give them a task and you sit there and you code it out for the next week.
1: Actually, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, if you want to see what the perception is, then just watch some movies, right? <laughs> I remember mm-hmm. watching this movie a couple years ago and, yeah, it was, the, it was the kid in the basement. It's usually a kid, right? Because um, there's some hacker genius and stuff is flying all over the screen. And and don't it,
2: forget the hoodie. You have to have the hoodie on. Yeah, the hoodie, the hoodie.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, he actually, and somebody all know what this movie is. so they, you know, like just email us and let us know what this movie was, unless somebody can think of it. But he actually made a vi- a computer virus that could also infect humans. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you see that all the time, just the the stereotypical um, hacker in these shows. And it's just, it's, I just, they're, oh, it's just so bad. It's so bad. We need to get over that. Okay. Anything else you want to mention on that one, Carl? No. No. Just stop reinforcing these stereotypes. Yeah. I mean. No, that's a good point. Uh, .NET Core RC2 improvements, schedule, and roadmap. So I think the biggest takeaway in here, right, is that, uh, the availability, so .NET Core and ASP.NET Core 1.0 RTM, which is uh release to manufacturing, which really we use the acronym more than that, um, which is basically the release, right. Uh, will be available by the end of June. Is that what you took away from this, Carl? Yeah. It's sitting
0: there in bold. (laughs)
1: That's all I read, Carl. (laughs) 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 <laughs> and, uh, it said that the, what was it? The, the release candidate will be available in mid may and the release candidate so, will be the release if everything goes as planned. Yeah. So about the time we hear the show, this uh, should be available. Yeah, that's a good point, which is awesome. Cause there's a lot of people waiting for this. I mean, we've talked about this before. I mean, we want them to get it right. So it, you know, it takes as much time as it takes, but at the same time, like yeah, I want this to be out so that we can start uh, building really cool stuff on it and see what people build. Okay, from the makers of Siri, Viv.
0: Yeah, so I, I thought this was pretty cool. I saw a ton of articles all at the same time about this. So the development team that worked on Siri, uh, they, you know, essentially got bought out by Apple, yep. and that got turned, you know, into built into the iPhone, and then those people left and made something a lot better. Uh, one of the articles I was reading, they were talking about how they just uh, spoke to this app, it said hey i want to buy a pizza and then it asked for what toppings and it's you know it asked a bunch of questions back and they they didn't even really specify a whole lot and like 40 minutes later there was four different custom ordered pizzas delivered at the door and you know being able to take open ended questions and stitch those together is really one of the things that they're solving that none of the other assistants really have gotten yet so if what they're saying is you know entirely you know true for everybody across the board um, this is a huge step forward into, uh, this, uh, space. So I have a
1: question that you're probably just not, com- not prepared for at all. So I apologize. Probably. But I, I was just thinking about that whenever we talk about that conversation, like that's already, that already exists in some form or another in like the bot framework. So I guess whenever we, we're going to have that topic on the show, but it seems like why aren't those things combined? And maybe they are like, is, you know, if Cortana and the bot framework are combined in any which way.
0: So I I think that Cortana just kind of evolved before then. And and, and really, when we're talking about those conversations, even with the bot framework, you're talking about something that's like a really bounded task. I mean, like for the examples that we've been shown, they're all like, hey, this is, you know, I'm going to order pizza or I'm going to book a room or blah, blah, blah. What what this other thing is, is like being able to understand kind of anything contextually and being able to add on to it to really get exactly what you want without
1: having to have you know, a bounded script. Well, that's task. kind of my thought though, is to have, have the, because the, the, the bot framework yeah, right now is, is pretty restrictive, but um, I know it can understand some variations of things, but it's like, if we can pour all our energy into that, make that so they can understand all these different variations. And then just, it's either text or it's voice. Like there, you know, just make there be no difference. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe there's stuff going on that I just don't know about, but um seems like those things should converge at some point. But yeah, so, hey, so point, Apple bought yeah, Siri we're, we're and what not you, there yet what you didn't mention framework. is that they, they've... Com- oh, you were breaking up there again, Carl. That's okay. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Apple bought Siri and then they completely like, I don't know, they removed functionality and it was just, it's kind of a mess. They haven't added anything to it forever. It's kind of an embarrassment. So I think uh, these people were just frustrated and felt like, you know, kind of starting over and, and that's good to see. It's good to see that innovation. Okay, so let's move on because what we're really here for... Is to talk to Rich. Um, So Rich, I guess we should just start out with uh, with you specifically. So what is your role at Microsoft? I know that I introduced you as a senior program manager, but like, you know, what, what do you actually do?
2: Um, so I spend most of my time herding cats, shaving yaks, um, you know, <laughs> trying to coerce the team into into shipping great stuff. And uh, one of the, it's it's been a very interesting ride for me. I I, I was at Microsoft from 2000 through 2010, okay. and then I left at the end of 2010 and went out into the real world where I've been for the last five or six years now. Uh, working on a variety of startups. I spent time working at HBO and uh, with a variety of clients throughout the U.S. And I, I only actually came back into Microsoft about uh, two and a half months ago.
1: Oh, really? Um, and it was
2: specifically to join the team to help build this stuff. That's awesome. Um, because I had I'd gotten to the point at the end of the last year, I was in the middle of building another startup and was banging my head against the desk and uh, trying to get the Windows command line to do some things that... Um, it wasn't happy to do. And so I actually reached out to my Twitter stream and said, hey, who owns the Windows command line? Who owns the Windows console? And uh, I got put in touch with someone who I uh, downloaded uh, my thoughts to him on an email. Um, he said, come for lunch. And then revealed to me that the team was actually uh, uh, starting to do some really serious work on the console. Okay. And said, hey, we're looking for a PM to come and join us if you're interested. Um, at that point, I hadn't really thought about coming back in, but I was very intrigued. And he said, we got this one other thing as well. <laughs> and I said, really? I said, you're, you tell me you're bringing back Interix, right? And he said, no, better than that. He said, we have Linux running on Windows. And I said, I can do that in a VM already. I said, what's the big deal? <laughs> and he said, no, 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 really? This is Linux running on Windows. And I nearly fell off my chair at the time. I was going to
1: say, like, how long did it take before you actually believed him?
2: <laughs> oh, it, it took at least an hour of of some fairly de- fairly serious grilling into what the yeah. technology is and how you it works. You can't worked. just
1: drink the kool aid; you have to like pour it all over your head. <laughs> yes, you do. You have to dive in, right? And you're, you're swimming
2: around and <laughs>
1: baptized in kool aid. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, but I mean, I was just completely blown away with what the team were attempting and what the team had, the way that they were approaching it. Um, and was so, so excited. I, and, and he said, and we're looking for a PM to come and run that as well. And if you're, if you're interested, you can come in and take both. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, done. So. <laughs> so, uh, so four weeks odd later, after a couple of interview loops and so on, um, I, I, I joined the team and have been having an absolute blast ever since. Okay. And that's a good way to, honestly, like that's a good way to get hired
1: too. Like it's still kind of a long shot, but it is a good way to get hired. If there's something you're passionate about and you know, the person to email at Microsoft, like send them an email. Like I've seen that happen before where, um, somebody, a few levels above me, they actually got an email from somebody saying like, you guys should really do this. And they, 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 they just kind of nailed it. Right. Or at yep. least, you know, it, that, it looked like they nailed it. And, um, you know, so that email got sent out to a whole bunch of people and they're like, Oh, does anybody know this guy? And and we were just like discussing that. And a lot of people are just really impressed by the email. So it's like, you know, guess who's getting an interview. Absolutely, It was such a cool way of doing it instead of sending like attached is my cover letter yeah. and I'm super excited, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, whatever. There's like, you know, there's a thousand of you, you yeah. know, unfortunately, um, yep. that's just, that's just the way it is. So that, that's just a cool way to get in, just come Absolutely. in with your passion. Fashion.
2: Absolutely, I mean, I mean genuinely. I, I, in January, I wasn't at the time angling to come back in in any way. I was yeah. deep in the middle of trying to build another startup, which is which is now on the back burner, of course. But um, we're we're building cool stuff here as well. And you know, to your point, I've seen many, many people come into Microsoft uh, in the di- in the distant past as well as more recently as well, who are all brought in because they. Um, they were passionate in the community. They would, you know, develop, they would, uh, um, deliver talks. They would speak mm-hmm. at conferences. They'd write books or articles or whatever, or just hang out on Stack Overflow and answer questions. Um, you know, I know several people, um, in the web team in the building just opposite me here, mm-hmm. uh, who are, who actually, uh, built, uh, JavaScript frameworks and, you know, really help make uh, or port JavaScript, uh, JavaScript frameworks to work well on IE and, and Edge and so on, um, and a lot of those people also had an opportunity to come in, which is uh, which is exciting for some.
1: Yeah.
0: So you know, moving forward, you know, let's let's kind of define, you know, what is Bash, yes. and you know, what does it really mean to have it on Windows? Right.
2: Absolutely. Now, the interesting thing is, you know, we, we talk about um, Bash on Windows, so Bash on Ubuntu on Windows, mm-hmm. and there's this underlying technology called the Windows uh, uh, Windows Subsystem for Linux (WSL) we abbreviate it as, because of course, Windows Subsystem for Linux rolls off the tongue every time. Right. <laughs> um, Service Pack Two. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> Um, but essentially what we, what we, what we were hearing from the community, and this is really what, what, what impressed me about this team, was if you remember back in the very early days of Windows 10, um, Microsoft opened up a bunch of user voice forums to collect user submitted feedback about what do you think of X? And one of the questions was, what do you think of the console, the command line? What would you like to see happen? And so I and many others, and I'm sure you guys as well, saw a lot of that feedback and contributed a lot of that feedback in terms of um, I would love it if the Windows console itself, the actual window that you see on the screen, was modernized. And wouldn't it be lovely if we had proper copy and paste? And wouldn't it be awesome if it had transparency and all these asks? Um, but along with those kinds of feature requests of the console itself was a call from the community to improve uh, Windows' ability to run uh, primarily open source, but often Linux-first, Unix-first uh, tools um, on Windows, with Windows, alongside Windows, or in some way better integrated with the Windows experience. Um, so... As I said, you know, having come in recently, it was great to hear that the team really, really heard that feedback. Uh, for Windows 10, unfortunately, they had to pull resources off doing ma- major uh, console improvements to f- deal with some other stuff. But they now have a dedicated team uh, who sit just the other side of me over here, mm-hmm. uh, who are now really focused on improving that. And um, we've partnered with a team in the Windows based kernel team. Who are building a, a subsystem that essentially allows Windows to run native Linux applications unmodified on top of Windows, and this is this is where the where where the magic really happens because um, you know we talk about Bash, we talk about sed and grep and ORC and all of these Linux command line tools, which a lot of people use on a daily basis to build uh, open source technologies and tools in particular. Um, a lot of those tools, you can get Windows versions of them, but uh, you often find that those Windows versions of those tools have been recompiled as Windows applications and behave like Windows apps, whereas the build scripts, the automation scripts, and so on that you might utilize within an open source project, um, they, expect, um, uh, they expect the underlying platform to behave like Linux. Yeah, you need the real thing. The, the, the real thing often makes a really big difference. Even if the, the commands that are used are very substantially the same, the script that incorporates those commands, for example, might be looking for a particular file system layout or might be looking to, um, to, to use uh, specific Linux mappings for devices or um, for character devices and block devices and certain Linux behaviors that are very difficult to emulate from the Windows command line side of things. So tools like Sigwin have a, have a great place to, uh, to play and continue to play in being able to, to allow you to utilize some of those tools within your Windows scripts. But sometimes, and very often, when using things like Ruby and Perl and Python and so on, or projects incorporating those tools, um, developers want to be able to have an environment that looks and feels like Linux, in order for those tools to run, in order for you to be able to uh, clone a Git project down onto your machine, to build that project, to run the automated test suite, and then to ultimately stand that system up, whatever it may be—be be it a website or even a, you know some kind of data storage facility, for example—and um, then have that run, thinking that it's running on Linux and, or, on, or on Unix. And to not really know the difference and to work just as you would expect it to. Right. So, so that's the sort of fundamental motivation for why we did what we did. Um, when we came to, so how would we do this? You know, we took a, took a look at the Sigwin approach of recompiling the applications to be Windows applications and see if we can, uh, create an environment that was similar enough. But trying to get Windows to behave like Linux is really, really hard. Uh, or at least the the, the Linux command sorry, the, the Windows command line to behave like Linux and all of its semantics and so on. Uh so we looked at a variety of options. We looked at what, what do people do when they stand up VMs? What about Docker, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera? And all of those are great solutions in, in for particular needs. But when it comes to developer productivity, there's nothing quite like just being able to open up a console and have literally Linux, Unix, Bash running there in the console alongside Visual Studio, alongside Sublime, alongside a PowerShell window running you know, another part of your Windows automation, for example. Mm-hmm. So we essentially said what we really need to do is to have the ability to run Linux applications on top of Windows. And coming back to Carl's earlier question, what is Bash? Um, Bash is essentially the most popular Linux command line shell environment um, that is now the default shell for Ubuntu. It's the default shell you get on OSX, and it's the shell into which you type Linux commands and or write Bash scripts uh, to automate and chain together commands and, and make decisions within the execution of those, of those scripts uh, to, to drive the, and automate the completion of some task. Be it building something, testing something, deploying something or whatever. All right. So, uh, so bash in our case, we have an executable called bash when you enable the Windows subsystem for Linux. We lay down this executable on the hard drive and it's called bash purely and simply because, uh, when we did end user testing on this, the, we would sit a developer down in front of the machine and say, okay, so how would you expect bash to run? And I said, well, I'd expect to type bash, hit enter, and be in bash, mm-hmm. just the same way as I type PowerShell, and I hit enter, and I'm in PowerShell. Yeah. I we said, okay, so the executable's got to be called bash, right? So that executable, however, does very, very little work at all. It communicates with a, with a service uh, that we have running on, on, on your machine when you enable Windows Subsystem for Linux. Uh, It talks to a service on your machine, which then talks to all of the kernel infrastructure that we've built to add this Linux-compatible layer of functionality um, right down at the bottom end of your process. Mm -hmm. Essentially, when you write an application, I'm trying to position things (laughs) roughly on the screen here. When you write an application, your code sits here up at the top. It talks through a bunch of libraries, and eventually those libraries make calls against something called the syscall layer which is a list of some 350 odd functions that are implemented across all versions of Linux and which provide access to the kernel mode features of Linux itself things like file open file close read write fork wait etc 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 Um, these are all fairly well defined. There's a, there's a a Linux spec for how these, uh, sys, what these syscalls look like, what their input parameters are, what their behaviors are, and what their return values are. Um, and that allows you to essentially, uh, to build applications on top of it. It's a fairly stable API. It doesn't get changed that often, although it does get new functions added to it sometimes. So essentially that's where we began. We started building out this syscall layer plus the necessary infrastructure to allow us to stand up very lightweight processes so that we could mimic fork and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, and into those lightweight processes, we then load up your code, your code's dependencies in terms of what other libraries, et cetera, it might need to incorporate. And then we, we uh, attach essentially the syscall layer at the bottom end and bind everything together and then run your code as literally as if it was running on Linux. And when your code make calls through the library down to the syscall layer, we then broker that into our Kernel mode implementation of Windows Subsystem for Linux, which doesn't actually contain any Linux code, so it's kind of an awkward name to call it. <laughs> um, but it, but unfortunately, the Windows Subsystem for running running Linux compatible applications was just getting too long a product name, so we truncated it to Windows Subsystem for Linux, and that basically in t- takes those syscalls and and re-implements them within the NT kernel. Uh-huh. So when you say file open. Uh, the syscall, uh, the, the Linux or, or uh, syscall uh, function. When you say open a file, it actually uses the Windows kernel file open. When you say open up a socket on the TCP connection, it talks through NDIS and talks to the Windows networking stack. When you say write this character out to the screen, it actually uses the Windows console command line infrastructure. So it's actually translating those syscalls into Windows kernel calls. Uh, And that essentially allows us then to run uh, any unmodified uh, command line Linux binary on top of this Windows subsystem for Linux um, without breaking anything and behaving in a way that makes that uh, calling application think that it's actually running on Linux itself. Yeah, and then to the user, it just
1: appears as magic.
2: It appears as magic, yeah, absolutely.
1: Infragistics,
0: Ultimate UX and UI Tools, and Enterprise Mobility Solutions – SharePlus and ReportPlus enable high-performance apps on any device, faster data insights, simplified collaboration, and market-leading security, all backed by comprehensive support. With Infragistic's Ultimate UX and UI Development Toolkit, you can ensure mission-critical applications delivering a superior user experience on the desktop, web, and native device environments for iOS and Android with the latest BI tools, wow your users with dashboards providing the data insights that they need when and where they need it, all at a low total cost of ownership. Try it today, download a free trial at infragistics.com and follow them for the latest updates in UX and UI development, reporting and collaboration at infragistics on Twitter. And remember, each week, if we pick your comment on the show, you will get a free copy of Infragistics Ultimate UX and UI Toolset.
1: And then you mentioned Sigwin before. So, um, you know, does Sigwin still have a place then? Or if I
2: have it installed, should I just uninstall and throw it away? No, Sigwin still has a great place in this story. I mean, one of the things that we're making very clear is that our primary goal, our primary objective with WSL and and with Bash on Windows, Bash and Ubuntu on Windows, is to create an environment that looks, feels, and operates as much like Linux as we can. Mm -hmm. So that, as a developer, you can have uh, source code open in Visual Studio, you can be coding in VS because it might have the tools that you utilize, it might have the integration with your build environment, whatever that needs are, or you might be using Visual Studio Code or some other Windows-based editor on the Windows GUI, which you use because you've got line-of-business applications running and productivity apps and so on. And you can work on your code and your 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 scripts and so on within Windows, but then when you come to run them, you just open up a bash prompt and you run them from within bash. Mm -hmm. Now... When you run your code, your script and so on, your applications within bash, it is literally thinks it's running on Linux itself. And in fact, to the degree that you can't right now at least invoke Windows applications from within bash. Okay. Yeah, so you can't call notepad, you can't call dir, you can't call uh, the Windows echo or any of any of those Windows uh, uh, executables. You can't call them from within bash. And at the same way, if you're in PowerShell, you can't call Bash applications from PowerShell right now. You can invoke Bash and pass it a script that you might want it to run, and it will run that script, but you can't get the output right now. We're looking at some of those scenarios for future versions. But uh, right now, there's no real process interop between the Windows world and the Bash world. Mm -hmm. So where does Sigwin fit in? Well, Sigwin fits in if you've got, for example tools and tool sets and scripts where you might want to use a bash script and actually run it in windows itself and then to have code powers within your script that say hey if i'm running on windows then go and call regedit and uh, modify the registry in this way or if i'm running on windows expect my files to be in these particular locations but if i'm on linux then expect them to be somewhere else Mm -hmm. um so sigwin is still a great tool for you to be able to drive um to drive automation of processes within the windows side of the world but using a bash like script whereas windows subsystem for linux is literally trying to make applications running on top of it and scripts that run within it think that they are literally running on on linux itself okay
1: that makes a lot of sense
2: so how do i actually get things
1: installed on
2: here so there's a couple of steps. Um, Windows Subsystem for Linux is an optional component of Windows 10. Yeah. Um, it's been released in ev- the Windows Insiders Build Fast Ring builds uh, for the last three or four builds now, ever since build 14316, mm-hmm. which is the build that came out just after the build conference 2016. Yeah. Um, so if you want the bits, you have to be on the Insiders Fast Ring build. Uh, it will be delivered in RTM uh, for Windows 10 anniversary update uh, later this summer. Um, but if you want the bits before then, just get the insiders build on your machine. Then you go to add and remove optional features and you t- sorry, turn on and off uh, Windows optional features. And you'll find in the dialog box there a, an item for Windows subsystem for Linux, just as you would Hyper-V or IIS, for example. And then once you've enabled that feature and you've rebooted, we actually require a reboot because we hook in the the lightweight process management infrastructure underneath Windows Substance for Linux uh, very early in the boot cycle. And it needs to be uh, very early in the boot cycle, so we force a reboot. Once you've done that, you have to turn on developer mode. We don't right now advocate this as a tool set for my mom and dad to use, for example. Um, It's something we are very much focusing on the developer scenario for right now. Uh, So right now we gate it behind uh, developer mode as well. And once you've done those things, all you do is either open up a console window and type bash, or you hit the start menu and you type bash and you'll see bash on Ubuntu on Windows as a start menu item, and it will open up a command line window uh, running bash uh, on your PC.
1: Okay, I get. I have my VM rebooting right now.
2: <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I do your Windows VM, right?
1: Yes, yes, it's a Windows right. VM. Right, and then um, once once I'm actually in Bash, then how do I install tools that I need within there?
2: So, how would you install tools if you were running Ubuntu? So, apt-get, absolutely. Okay. So awesome. the, the 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 important thing to remember is, as soon as you open Bash and you see the prompt, you are literally running Ubuntu bits. Okay. Right. In fact, in Windows Subsystem for Linux, we don't actually even ship a distro with the feature. So during the initial run process, uh, you will be prompted to, uh, if in order to run this uh, feature, you have to accept Canonical's license. Here's the link to it if you want to go read it. Do you accept? You hit yes and continue. And at that point, we then go and download the Canonical created a Ubuntu image from the cloud and install it on your machine, which literally just unzips it onto your machine in a, <laughs> in a user folder. And so when we run bash, you know, when you type bash at the command line, for example, you start up our executable. And as I said, that then spins up a process. It uses the, uh, the, the, the runtime service to essentially communicate with the kernel and invoke this process and then literally runs bin bash, right? Just like Linux okay. would. So really cool. there's no Microsoft code in there at that point. When you're inside bash and you're running within bin bash, you are running whatever you get off Ubuntu 14.04 right now, just without the kernel. We implement the kernel side of the interface, essentially. All of the user mode side, all of the commands that you would normally expect to get in an Ubuntu Linux distro are available to you there. And if the tool isn't there, you apt get it. Or you download a GZ and you un- unzip it and you untar it and then you run configure and make. And it's literally Linux at that point. Oh, okay. Linux, the operating system at that point.
1: <laughs> Very
2: cool. So
0: that's pretty cool. So, how are the file systems integrated? You know, I was watching a video and it was showing like,
2: hey, I can do something in Linux. I can see it show up in Windows yeah, and vice versa. Absolutely. Course. So, while we don't provide process interop right now, one of the key scenarios that I mentioned earlier on was I want to be able to edit my code, for example, in Visual Studio, while I want to run it within Bash. So we needed to be able to get access to both the uh, the Windows and the Linux file system from within Bash. So what we do is we actually mount your CD and so on drives, any of your fixed hard drives. We mount under the MNT folder using a file system driver that we've created, which honors NTFS semantics. So it's case-aware but not case-sensitive. Um, it has uh, uh, different behaviors than the file system under Linux itself. But when you're talking to the, file, to the Linux root file system, essentially, uh, we, we mimic the behavior of that Linux file system on your machine. So if you, for example, want to share code between Linux and Windows... You might go to CD, WAC, MNT, WACC, WAC, maybe dev as your dev folder and any folder underneath that. And then you git clone your project over there and you'll be able to see those files on both Windows and from within bash. So then you can load that project up in VS Code or in Sublime or whatever you're using. And then if you want to run it, you just open up your Bash shell again and you type build or make or whatever it is that you're using to automate the the production of of your runtime system.
1: Okay. I almost have it installed here. Now I gotta I gotta cool. turn on developer mode. But while I'm doing that, um, so what about the what about the IP address? I mean, just thinking <laughs> through networking, like it gets it gets weird with like virtual machines. It does. I mean, in this case, I mean, are they? How does that work? Because they're they're the same machine. It, yep. they, does everything get along? Are there any issues
2: there? So the um, because Windows Subsystem for Linux is sitting on top of the NT kernel, mm-hmm. it shares the same networking stack with the rest of Windows. Right. So, unlike when you use a Hyper V or a or a VMware yeah, like a virtual or whatever, that's it. If you're, a, if you're using if you're using a hyper a, a virtual machine technology, you're literally standing up a virtual machine which needs to get its own IP address, and then when you're talking to that virtual machine, you're having to tunnel through firewalls, probably, etc., etc., etc. With um, Bash and Ubuntu on Windows and with Windows Subsystem for Linux, they sit on top of the Windows networking stack, so. They're actually on the same IP address as Windows itself because it's the same networking stack. Yeah. So as long as you don't have port conflict. So, if, for example, let's say you're opening up a Ruby oh, application in Bash. Hosting on uh, like port 80 or something. Yeah, right? exactly. So yeah, if you, you know, if you're if you're loading up a Ruby web service, for example, a Sinatra web service, and you're running it inside Bash, just make sure that you're running on a different port. To the version that you've got running on Windows, for example, and might maybe simultaneously doing uh, interop testing between a version running on Windows and a version running on Linux. Um, so, as long as you don't have port conflicts, you should be fine. Okay. I was just typing some commands there. <laughs> uh, for sure. You can't leave your hands, <laughs> sorry. On your hands, can you? I mean, it's freaky when you first see it. I remember just before build, um, yeah, it's downloading right now. Good, cool. Yeah, the, the download takes a few minutes. It's, uh, it's a 180-meg file, the Linux image itself. It's a 180-meg file. It takes a couple of minutes to download, depending on your bandwidth. And then we have to unzip it onto your hard drive, essentially. So that takes maybe a minute or two, depending on your CPU and, and disk performance. Okay. Once it's unpacked, you are literally there's there's a very thin translation layer the uh, the Cisco implementation layer. It's a very very thin uh, API abstraction, and then calls into the Windows uh, file system, Windows networking stack, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so it when you first see this, it's just it's just. It took me about <laughs> half an hour to really kick it. Go, Is this really Linux? <laughs> and then you do things like if you type file. And then space and then whack bin whack bash, yeah. and it will give you the use the Linux file information uh, command, and it will show you some of the header information from the file you're pointing at, yeah. and it will tell you it's an ELF 64 binary, and you're thinking, <laughs> it's real ELF code, you know this is essentially the the Linux Unix world binary format for executables. Yeah. Um, and you can use readelf if you want to see all of the header information and then you go surely apt get doesn't work and then you type in a command that's not there and it says hey in order to install this you might want to run apt get install blah 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 yeah and you go oh good grief this is really linux running on windows <laughs> and i got so excited about this i tweeted about it just before build although very abstractly i said uh, uh just getting to play with some some new windows 10 bits um, uh, this stuff is 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 gonna, When you see this stuff, it's going to completely freak you out. And I got into trouble with PR for that, and and handsome retweeted me, <laughs> so he got into trouble as well. And um, and then when we actually went out to build, we had people going, "Oh my, you weren't kidding! This this is un- unbelievable." <laughs> um, so we've we've been so excited to to finally be able to reveal this thing, yeah. and the feedback we've gotten is just unbelievable. It's been so positive and so constructive, and and we've we've started to build a phenomenal community. Uh, we talk every day with with developers and, and evangelists and, and enthusiasts around this area on GitHub. They file issues for us. Uh, we we discuss those issues and get repro cases, and we try and fix as many things as we can. Obviously, we only have finite time before R T M. Um, but this is that this first version of this feature is again purely focusing on developer scenarios we're not supporting server scenarios we're not supporting server production workloads right now uh we're not supporting gui applications right now even though yeah. some people oh, that makes sense yeah i was going to ask about
1: containers i mean yeah so like a server workload so does that work or you know is it does it work
2: and it's not recommended or is it just not work so right now docker engine doesn't work yeah. Um, Docker client, we've just got it working internally here. We're desperately trying to ship the fixes out uh, through the build pipeline so they can show up in RTM um, so that you can at least drive a Docker engine if, if it's hosted elsewhere on a server or on a cloud server somewhere. Um, for the future, we don't know about the server side of things. We, ha- we have a very strict mandate to really make the developer experience sing. If developers say that they want to be able to run and this is where things get a little bit wonky. But you say uh, I want to be able to run a Linux Docker container on Linux Docker Engine on Ubuntu on Windows. Um, it's almost like an Inception thing, right? So, yeah. Uh, if that's important, then please let us know. You know, <laughs> tell us on our user voice. Yeah, because that would that kind of stuff really helps. Yeah. Well, I'm
1: just just thinking through that as well. Like. You know, on uh, it's it's interesting on on OS 10. I thought that Docker was going to be like really easy to use, right? And, and honestly, like the the tooling has made it that way. But Docker doesn't actually run on OS 10; it just runs on Linux. <laughs> so what ends up happening? there, like, oh yeah, to install Docker. Um, you know, sim- we'll simply install a virtualized environment. We'll give you real Linux, and then you can actually use yeah. this. So, so actually, from a developer experience for Docker, I mean, ultimately, I think this is going to be better. Wouldn't you agree?
2: In, in some cases, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. OS X has always had a very strong Linux underpinning. They, right. you know, they essentially rebuilt uh, Apple's operating system on top of FreeBSD at the end of the day. But Free, FreeBSD and the BSD vein of of Linux, sorry, of Unix. Has a slightly different characteristics than Linux itself, and it was very—it was funny actually. I'll take a look back and see if I can find the the tweet for you later. Um, but someone tweeted at me and said, "We're running our Linux test suite for our application on WSL, and it's passing <laughs> better than it does when we run it on OSX." Yeah. Which is freaky, considering that we know that right now with WSL there's a lot of things that break. There's a lot yeah. of there's a lot of gaps still that we're working to f- working to fill in. Yeah. Um, but the fact that their code suite is running uh, more compatibly with Linux uh, on WSL. Than it is when they run it on on macOS yeah. is so SX is is just unbelievable. Well, that's awesome, and it kind of makes sense because yeah. OS 10 never claimed to be Linux. It's, right.
1: It's just it's Linux ish.
2: Yes. Um. You know, but it's, it's, it's more Unix ish, is. right? I yeah. mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's BSD, so it's it's more exactly. more Unix than it is Linux.
1: Whereas on our side now, on the on the Windows side, it's like, well, this actually is Linux. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's, I just, I've said this on the show before, but the, to me, this just took some, a huge gap and just, you know, this, I, I couldn't figure out how we we're going to possibly catch up in this area. This right. was like the only, like this, this, once I heard about it, I'm like, oh, okay, well that makes sense. And that that seems to be like the only way to actually have, have fixed
2: that gap. Right. I that that was that was pretty much my summation as well. When I went to lunch just in the the cafe behind me here, um, <laughs> back in January, and when I first heard about this, I was like, yeah. "Oh, good! They finally nailed it. This is yeah. finally a viable solution to the problem, exactly, uh, without having to recompile so, you know, or jump through hoops or anything. It's literally just Linux running on Windows. Or, and th- th- just just to cover this very briefly, um, a lot of Linux enthusiasts say, "Oh, this has nothing to do with Linux. There's no Linux here." They actually have a very good point, right? There is no Linux code here. Linux is the kernel. Yeah, I was going to say users, so. The, so the, kernel. the user mode yeah. side of things—it's So it's is, really Ubuntu. It's it's the GNU it really Ubuntu yeah. uh, uh, Linux user mode side yeah. that's running on top of WSL. Um, so just to be clear about that, but but yeah, it's, you know, for for what most people class as a Linux compatible operating system, uh, we we are working very hard to to making. An environment in Windows that is very, very compatible with uh, with a Linux uh, uh, oper- style operating system. So, just to keep
0: talking about performance a little bit more, um, you know, how does it compare to running Linux
2: just s- straight installed on a machine? So we, the one thing we struggle with right now is file system performance. Uh, we have a lot of work yet to do in this space. We know we are significantly slower in file system performance compared to Linux on the same tin. Um we are working on on fixing some of those issues. Um I of, I often equate uh I often equate running win, running Linux on uh, on WSL as trying to mix oil and water. Uh, the semantics that Windows and Linux have for process management, for forking versus threads, for memory management, for file system management, differ in a thousand different ways across both platforms. And... Uh, the way that file system operations work on Linux are very different to Windows. And right now we're trying to mix oil and water. We're trying to mix those very different mindsets and expectations around how file systems should work versus how, um, sorry, work on Linux as they were versus how they work on Windows. So we're doing a ton of work in that space. We should have a a a few big improvements coming for RTM. And we're going to continue to keep pushing and improving our file system performance uh, uh, beyond RTM as well. We've got a ton of plans for, for versions beyond RTM. So um, that that should get better over time. But when it comes to CPU and memory performance, we actually do very, very well indeed. Um, there's a, there's a Linux website that does a lot of benchmarking between Linux distros, uh, to show and compare the, the relative performance of, um, uh, versions of Linux versus BSD, for example, and versions of Linux between themselves, who actually ran their test suite on top of WSL as well. And all, th- apart from the file system performance that we knew were, uh, we were going to be quite a bit slower at, uh, we were as fast, if not faster than Linux across the board. Uh, within like a percent of... uh, Windows, the fastest Linux distribution. (laughs) Yep. It is shocking when you see stuff like that coming out from the Linux community, right?
1: Headlines you would never have guessed 10 years ago. (laughs) Exactly.
2: This is not your dad's
1: Microsoft, put it that way. Awesome. So, you know, one of the things that, you know,
0: I get excited about, you know, is thinking about being able to have just, like, one copy of code to, like, create a universal deploy script for a website. So is that something that really becomes,
2: you know, available now with this uh, technology? It could, depending upon what the target platform is that's going to be running your website. So if you're deploying to a Linux, BSD, Unix type environment, then, yeah, absolutely, you could very easily create a bash script. And have the same bash script that you use to deploy against your live system work on your local box as well. By and large, there will, there will always be a few things that are maybe a little bit different on Windows, but we're trying to close that gap as much as we can. In particular, if some of your script, for example, needs to configure the registry right now, you have no way of writing to the registry in, in bash. Mm-hmm. Um, if you need to, uh, to, to configure some other aspect of, or gather some statistics, some configuration, of information about your current Windows environment, and for example, in order to be able to write out the startup scripts and IP addresses of your various services, uh, right now, for example, ifconfig doesn't work. Um, so. You may have a few rough edges there, but yes, by and large, the goal is that if you can run a bash script on a, an Ubuntu, in image, uh, or sorry, Ubuntu VM running in Azure or AWS, then you should be able to use the vast majority, if not all, of that script uh, on your local machine as well. This is just so cool. I'm
1: just, I'm playing around doing like, you know, upgrading everything, doing update and all that kind of stuff. Um, so one thing I want to know then, I mean, now, so now we have, we have PowerShell, we have the Windows command line, we have Bash, like, are any of those going to go
2: away? Absolutely not. No. No. Uh, I mean, PowerShell is a phenomenally powerful tool right. with deep tendrils all the way down through Windows, through SQL, through Exchange, through SMS, through, through all of these Microsoft technologies, and also up into um, a variety of third-party uh, applications and systems as well. So PowerShell, if you're going to be automating and administering a Windows environment, then PowerShell is still absolutely your first-class uh, 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 scripting facility for doing just that Um, the bash side of things is more for providing cross-platform capabilities right now in that you have if you can if you can drive the build uh, unit testing and deployment of your production system for example that might target windows and and bash um, sorry windows and, and linux then bash might be a very good way to do that The one challenge we have right now is that because for version one of of WSL, we're only going to be available on client desktop SKUs, it means that there won't be a bash on Windows Server right now. Okay. Okay. That'll so, be
1: one of my questions. Yeah.
2: Right. So, you know, this is, this is something we hear a lot from the community. I had two emails just this morning asking exactly the same question. Uh, right now, uh, we're not shipping Windows subsystem for Linux on Windows Server, primarily, quite frankly, because we're not yet done enough with this thing. Uh, it's not the syscall implementations that we have built thus far, um, are great but we have more work to do to improve them yet. Uh, plus, we need to add a bunch more syscalls to be able to support a much broader range of scenarios before we could let it go anywhere near a server. Yeah. Um, and we're not sure what that means, right? I mean, when would you want to run um, a, a Ruby application on Windows versus run it on full Ubuntu? Would that ever make sense? Does it or doesn't it? And we don't know yet. We simply don't know. So if it's important to you, please tell us. Uh, Reach out to me directly or on our user voice page or file a bug on GitHub if you prefer. Um, But for features that others might vote up, we generally point people at user voice for now. Um, But it's an important scenario we need to consider for the future. It's just not something we could do in in V1. Yeah.
1: No, I like that you say what is you know, why would you do that is kind of the fault. Follow- there's probably a nicer way to ask it. But yeah, yeah then, because because right away I'm like, well, is this going to come to server? That'd be cool. But I guess, yeah, I didn't really think about why. I mean, the only thing I can think of is, is actually just having some kind of scripting for setting things up. But yeah, if you're going to run Docker or something, it seems a little silly.
2: Right. I and mean, I mean, there's the question, right? So, yeah. so if you're going to run Linux workloads in the future, do you want to run them on WSL, yeah. on a VM on Windows, and a vm on ubuntu in docker on windows and docker in ubuntu and there's so many v- uh, options available to us now and they it's a continuum right there's never mm-hmm. the one true answer yeah there's well, there's all these different things that you can consider, and depending upon where you sit on that sliding scale, d- depend, determines where you fall into that yeah. you know set of subcategories, essentially.
1: Yeah. Yo, dog, I heard you like Linux. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, anything else you want to share,
2: or you know, anything that's uh, that's on sort of the immediate roadmap that you can share, either? So we have been doing a ton of work. Thank you so much to our community. If any of you are listening, uh, we really, really appreciate it. Uh, the feedback, as I said, we've gotten through, uh, through uh, GitHub. The feedback I get daily through Twitter and email and so on is phenomenal. Keep it coming. Keep kicking the tires on this thing. Let us know what works and what, what, importantly, what doesn't because that helps us prioritize Mm -hmm. what we fix next, right? As I said, this first version is going to be rough around the edges. It it is going to have gaps. We're very, very clear and open about that. But we are very committed. We have a sizable team working on filling out our our syscall implementation layer and making the environment in which this stuff runs more and more and more stable over time. Uh, yeah. We'll be improving that over time, but we can improve it better with your feedback. So please keep it coming back. Thank you for what you've done so far. Please keep letting us know. Uh, we can't wait to hear what you guys get up with, to with this. Um, and for anyone that hasn't tried it yet, please give it a try. Uh, it's available in Windows Fast build, uh, fast Ring Builds now mm-hmm. and the win- on the Insiders program. And it'll be available in uh, Windows Update, sorry, the anniversary update uh, coming this summer for everyone else. Yeah, it took me about
1: five minutes to get it installed on a a fast ring machine.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's not a massive download. It's only 180 meg. It it takes up a total of probably about 200 meg on your hard drive, uh, which by today's hard drive standards is. As you mentioned earlier, when you're in your Mac section. (laughs) That's a rounding error. It's it's a rounding error. It's it's less than my temp drive is right now. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it, you know, please give it a kick, please give it a try. And we look forward to hearing what you think of it. Very cool. Okay. So Carl, what do you
1: have for your dev tip of the week? You only have one, right? Oh, I just saw yes. the one get crossed so, off. Okay. So you narrowed it down. Yep. Yeah, yep.
0: Yeah. So uh, I know a lot of developers are running on Macs and, you know, it's kind of timely talking today about yeah, but there's windows no, and there's Linux, no, you know, there's it's no
1: bash. Or actually there's bash. There's no Linux subsystem on, on OS ten though. No, so, there is no so Linux sub-system. now is a better time or a good time to switch over to Windows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But but
0: anyways, you know, I, I find through my dev work I take a lot of screenshots and on the Mac it's kind of a pain because it always puts them on the desktop. Well, uh, if you go through the show notes, uh, there's instructions on how to change where those uh, screenshots get saved to, so you can put them anywhere. Even if it's just putting them like in a in a folder on the desktop or putting them in your Documents folder or something, I think that's huge because that desktop can get uh, cluttered pretty
1: quickly yep. otherwise. Okay, Rich. So we play a game on this show. <laughs> I mean, what I need you to do? I need you to pick a number between one and four <laughs> inclusive.
2: Between one and four inclusive. Yep. Uh, I'm going to have to go to four then. Four, okay. I was going to say, is this Cards Against Humanity or what? No, no, this is something else.
1: <laughs> actually I Actually, it finally. Okay, here we go. <laughs> this is totally a legit developer game. Okay. Uh, <laughs> would you rather eat four <laughs> slices of moldy bread or
2: eat one rotten apple? <laughs> <laughs> um... I probably would go with the moldy bread because if you put cheese on it, that's equivalent to blue cheese anyway, (laughs) right? So it would be be like a blue cheese sandwich. So I can get away with that. Moldy apple, not so sure. Yeah. And I think the (laughs) texture of the apple. Yeah, exactly. The
1: texture would. You you remember the
2: eight-year-old's joke, right? What's worse than finding a a maggot in your apple? Hmm, What? Finding half a maggot in your apple. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Okay, Carl, pick a number. Number I'll take one. number one. Okay,
1: I got to get another card. I have them crossed off. Oh, here we go. Would you rather have a mouse, not a computer mouse, like a like an animal mouse? Okay, you've heard of those, Carl? Would you mm-hmm. rather have a mouse run up your pant leg or have, have a wasp get caught inside your shirt? <laughs> uh, the mouse, <laughs> yeah. no question. Because uh, uh, mice tend, you know... If you're all right, you know, they'll leave you alone. A wasp, those are pretty easy to Yeah, get upset. I think the mouse is going to be as, you know, perturbed as you if it's in your pant leg. Um,
2: yeah. Yeah, and mice tend to be vegetarian, right? Uh, Yeah, I think so. <laughs> uh, things like ferrets, however, are to- a totally different ballgame. Okay. Literally. Okay.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: That was entirely unplanned. That was just a slip of the tongue. Sorry about yeah. that. And
1: with that, that's the end of our show. Okay, so where can people find you if um, they want more of your awesome humor?
2: So, uh, I try and keep the humor vaguely under control. I have a personal, uh, a personal Twitter, a Twitter account called Bitcrazed. Okay. Um, but my, my sort of work-related tweeting all happens at richturn__ms. Okay. Um, and then we have a variety of places you can find us online for questions and asks and feature ideas and so on for bash. Uh, I'll provide those for you to put in the, in the show notes as well. Uh, that, rather than read them out here and everyone forget.
1: Yeah. I love, that is so cool. The, the bit crazed. Yes. Because it has sort of a dual meeting. That's really cool.
2: Yes, it does. Absolutely. I created it many years ago when I first moved over here actually, and having had to move people to different email servers, every time I move country yeah. or move company or whatever was just a nightmare. So I just bought bit crazed and I, I live there.
1: Oh, that's so cool. And Carl, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter. At you can Carl find Hager. me at YTechie.com or on Twitter at twitter.com slash So Rich, Thank you so much for coming on the show and teaching us about Bash and helping me get it up and running. It is awesome. so cool. This is just really exciting.
2: Thanks ever so much for the chance to come on, guys. I look forward to maybe returning in a few months' time. and we'll, we'll maybe talk about what's happened at RTM and then okay. uh, what we're doing beyond that as well. You are welcome back anytime. Thank you. Fantastic. Thanks for having me.